listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, mate? Well, man, I'm doing well. I, um, I managed to get a little bit of a time in the sun recently, so I'm feeling this is like uh, that this podcast has like 30% more tan than normal. <laughs> uh, so I'm... Hey, almost glowing yeah so i'm i'm look i'm i'm happy to be here yeah no and even more excited for today's guest in fact yeah i i i'm really looking forward to this because we've been lucky recently to be able to reconnect with some of our early guests on the show and find out where they are now what they're doing how their ideas and strategies have progressed and uh you know this guest has a very unique perspective and experience that not a lot of others do yeah yeah, exactly. And um, so let's just dive in. I, I think it's a, it's an exci- exciting topic. It's it's something that uh, is on the tip of a lot of marketers' tongues. Uh, but I feel that today's guest uh, gets to a level of depth that uh, many don't. Absolutely. So joining us today is Kristen Fallon. Kristen Fallon is with GE Healthcare. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Kristen. Thanks. Thanks for having Welcome. me back. Yeah, it's more a welcome back situation. Yeah, indeed. indeed. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> This is Jeff. You're just programmed. You see, yeah. Welcome to the cooler ring with your radio voice, and then man. and then it's then yeah. there's nowhere to go. Yeah. <laughs> I remember so, laughing this much on the last one, by the way. <laughs> I re-listened to it recently. We definitely did. Uh, Chris, you were with GE previously, with but the power, the division, power division, right? correct? Yeah. 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 And uh, now healthcare. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the fun things about working for a big conglomerate, which, by the way, will no longer be a big conglomerate in about um, eight months because we're breaking up. But it's fun because you, you know, you get to kind of stay in the same company culture, but you move to different industries. So I went from, you know, power all the way over to healthcare, um, which is a lot more consumer facing, but still very B2B. And, uh, and, and the thing I think that you've brought with you is an approach uh, and um, way of thinking about brand storytelling that is um, it's unique unique and yeah. I think has uh, has more meat on the bone than uh, I think we're often uh, used to seeing I'll, I'll just call marketers out now and then we'll lose like half of our audience or something <laughs> but, but no but you guys know like marketers you guys listening you know. Um, you know, you, you say the word storytelling and, you know, all, all marketing, storytelling, humans uh, connect with stories, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and we'll all spin that. But OK, now what? What are you doing? Yeah. How uh, are you bringing that to life? And, and man, it gets really thin, really fast with a lot, a lot of marketers. And it's even worse in manufacturing, probably. Yeah, I think that it, that is so true because you tend, and I mean, you, I even feel it like, um, as a consumer of some of this content, right? Like some of this, the storytelling you're referencing targets me. And it's like, I think marketing maybe where they, we get it wrong is either, um, it's sort of shallow or superficial storytelling. You're like, Oh, they, they put makeup on this person in the story, you know, like somehow it just starts to feel a little contrived and scripted. Um, and I, I know why we do that, and it's to protect ourselves and make sure that, you know, the message is coming across right. But I think you lose people with that a little bit. I think the other thing is sometimes marketing 
if, if storytelling isn't baked into your long-term strategy, then it's just little one-off, you know, campaigns, if you will. And I think what has changed in um, marketing, I, I don't know, let's say in the last five to 10 years, but definitely this was happening before COVID is I think that, you know, people want to have a more profound and a longer term relationship with their, um, you know, the, the brands that they engage with. And, you know, if you don't have a long term storytelling strategy, then it's, again, a little bit superficial, right? Because it's just these little pops instead of building something out that's um, maybe more meaningful. And la last time when we spoke, when you were with GE Power, you were kind of at the tail end of producing uh, some some really high caliber content in conjunction with CNN. And can you just bring our, our listeners up to date a little bit on, on kind of what you brought from that with you to healthcare and, and how you began to approach that, especially as we moved into a, into a major global pandemic? Yeah. So that was, um, and that project was in, in many ways, my swan song out of GE Power because it was soon after that, that I, I was brought into healthcare to build their storytelling program. And what had happened was we had, um, we entered into a partnership with CNN International and with their in-house studio, Courageous. They're just a terrific studio. And, um, and so we had hired on-camera talent, his name is Mikey Kay, to um, basically travel out to different sites where we were delivering power and talk about the human impact of those projects. And this was a very kind of short-term campaign, one-time storytelling program, but it was so successful. We found that our employees really gravitated to this content. Our external audiences, our customers loved it. Um, and it, it performed really, really well, not only on our own channels, but in CNN. So we were like, you know, we have something here. There's a little bit of a formula that we, we're seeing work. And, you know, fast forward then to healthcare, I was brought in to build a storytelling program. And so, um, you know, kind of took some lessons from that and actually literally the, the host, Mikey, and ended up building a new storytelling program here in healthcare. So uh, I, I want to talk about the, the kind of tactical delivery of that, if you will. But maybe before we do that, kind of how did you, I guess, how do you begin to strategically think about instituting a storytelling program? Like uh, maybe just give us a peek into your process or way of thinking about it. Yeah, for us, um, I mean, very truthfully, we were thinking about it and then the world, the COVID happened and sort of forced us into it. So in that sense, I'm a, I'm a little grateful that we had this um, galvanizing moment to just force us into something because I think we were maybe deliberating a little too long on it. So we, we knew we wanted to launch a storytelling program. And so we were thinking about like, you know, what is it that we want to cover and um, where do we want to go? And so we were kind of like looking big picture at, at the business strategy and we couldn't really land anything. And I'm, I'm going to come back to why that was, um, why we've changed. So we, we were very, you know, kind of inside out looking. It was like, what are, what are the stories that we want to tell? And nothing was like really resonating for us. Well then, so we're in the middle of developing this, this strategy and thinking it through, don't have it baked. And then COVID happens. So being in the healthcare industry, 
We saw the pandemic for a lot of the rest of the world did. So what I mean by that is we all knew in January. So the pandemic was declared a pandemic in March. We all knew you had to be living under a rock to not know this. But, you know, in January, we knew that there was a virus that was really scary that was taking hold in China. And, you know, there was a chance it was going to move beyond. Right. And then we started watching it move beyond. Um, well, as a healthcare company, by early January, demand for our equipment was skyrocketing. I mean, it was exponentially jumping up to the point where we had to hire a charter plane to get that equipment to um, the places where it was needed quickly, and also use that charter plane to actually bring in all of the different um, you know, supply chain uh, to our manufacturing sites. So this plane was like constantly running. There were a couple of them. And we started bringing our workers off of, um, you know, we had a lot of desk workers that were sitting in buildings right next to the manufacturing sites. We were actually bringing desk workers into the manufacturing sites and training them up to build equipment like ventilators to meet this demand. So, you know, what happened was this was going on and you get to March and you know, the world narrative is just turning darker and darker. Naturally, it was a very terrifying time. And if you kind of, you know, I think we've all come to learn to live with COVID and, and masks are very normal, using air quotes, but, um, but there was a period when this was scary and we didn't know how COVID was transmitted. And you, you know, you thought you might go to the grocery store and touch something and get it, right? Like we just didn't even know. And so the narrative in the media was really, really dark. Well, we're sitting there and we're seeing a narrative that's actually counter to the narrative in the media. And it, it was not to say that the media narrative was wrong. It was scary and it was a dark period of time, but there was this counter narrative of optimism, courage, hope of all of these people rallying together in a really beautiful way to help each other. And, you know, the other thing I think we take for granted is that, you know, COVID, the, everywhere in the world has pretty much probably been touched by COVID, right? Like how, when else in our lifetime has something been so ubiquitous around the world? And so we suddenly saw that like our employees in all different parts of the world were having the same exact experience. So we decided this was our moment to tell a different narrative. And, you know, if, if you are the news, which we, we were the news at that time, why not turn yourself into a news station? So we ended up, um, you know, I, I called up Mikey Kay because I knew him from our prior work with CNN. He's ex-military. He's not afraid to go into challenging situations. Um, and, you know, we basically, and I'm way simplifying this because it was a, a battle internally to get approval for this. But, um, you know, we, we hired him, put him in an RV, and we sent him around for a month to tell stories from the front lines of our own people at the manufacturing sites, as well as our own customers, and basically turned our social media feed into a news channel with constant uh, video updates. 42 videos in 42 days, is that right? Yes. <laughs> we didn't sleep. <laughs> watch some of the videos and we'll certainly link them uh link up the campaign in the podcast transcript but tell us about the kinds of things that you were doing with that because i can imagine 
what those conversations were like about, all right, guys, we've, we've got this great idea. We have this incredible opportunity. Everybody in the organization is pitching in and making sure that we're going, you know, that, that we're going to meet the demands and, and we need to tell those stories. I can imagine you've got a whole lot of people who are just like, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, like maybe I, not the right time. Maybe, maybe yeah. we should just, uh, just stay quiet on this. Eh? Well, probably, didn't see probably not. No, probably. <laughs> That was the conversation we had. So there was a lot of concern about going out and telling these stories for a lot of reasons. One, um, we were concerned about the optics of putting a filmmaker um, out in the world at literally the moment that state borders were shutting down. Um, we did have some challenges because the environment was changing so radically from one day to the next. We had actually gone and filmed for a whole week before the mask mandate came out. And then that Monday when we were going to air the films, the mask mandate came out by CDC. And we didn't want to air these films because we didn't want to put ourselves at risk of, you know, what even though we filmed them before the mandate came out, that might not ha be how it would be perceived on social media. And so we were opening ourselves up to reputational risk there. So we had to go and refilm a whole week's worth of, of films. Um, you know, we had leaders who were very reluctant, rightfully, to, you know, talk about like um, the volume of equipment we could deliver because this equipment became highly politicized. You had governments of countries putting in orders for ventilators, right? This was no longer just a hospital here and there. And here in the U.S. even, you may remember um, President Trump ended up, uh, you know, talking about an, the Wartime Act and sort of forcing um, manufacturers to convert whatever kind of manufacturing facility over to producing this sort of equipment. And we, we ended up partnering with Ford, and that was a great story. But like, point being, you're exactly right. There's a lot of things that were very scary for us to um, put out there. And so... We did, the way we mitigated this was we had a very rigorous process on the back end to get approval for all of these, which is also what makes the 42 videos in 42 days so impressive because we had a three-day turnaround from when it was filmed to when it went live. So in those three days, you had to go through post-production, um, legal reviews, and then media reviews and senior leadership. So that was one way that we um, addressed this. The other thing, though, that become so remarkable. And ultimately, this is what's led us into our present day storytelling strategy is the authenticity worked. Being honest, putting a filmmaker out there at a time that was really scary, telling these stories of people on the manufacturing lines who are coming out of retirement, coming off their desk job. These are powerful stories. And the world needed those at that time. And so we saw from the very moment we released the first film, incredible engagement, like record-breaking engagement for us. And and that continued throughout the entire season. I want to, um, I don't want to get too far past that three days of review bit before <laughs> diving into it a bit, because the thing, I guess where I'm going with that is, is as you were telling the story and I was trying to think in my mind about, okay, well, you know, when you did that with CNN, that partnership in the previous gig, you know, there's a level of uh, production quality that one might expect there. 
um, uh, rigor uh, was going to air eventually on CNN. It's a different thing than we're going to put somebody in an RV and shoot 42 videos of 42 days, which sounds decidedly more raw and bootstrappy. Boot, yeah, yeah. And, and and not well. I would say it not what you'd expect from a brand called GE. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these were iPhone like handheld videos. Um, everybody was unscripted, and we we loved the rawness of them. That that was part of the signature of these. We didn't edit out some of the just kind of awkward moments. Like we wanted to have that. And we even did some behind the scenes cuts where we showed like, you know, just the challenges of filming in, in that way to really bring people along in that experience. But yeah, it, you're right. Because I mean, the CNN films are beautiful, um, but don't quote me on this because I'm just going on memory here but i want to say it was like several months turnaround right yeah, for sure just one so these you know and and so that's really you know what's led us to our our current storytelling strategy which is be raw because in being raw you're actually being more authentic and people relate to you more and i i think we're in this beautiful age of storytelling it's the golden age right now for brand storytellers because um I think people are hungry for that authenticity. They're hungry for vulnerability, that rawness. And so it, it actually resonates more for people when you do that route. Mm, for sure. And you, you know, from a technical perspective, you can get away with a little bit more. That's not to say that the, you know, even though they were shot on iPhone, they're still pretty polished. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're well crafted, um, documentary style video. So, um, yeah, I think my, uh, one of the videos I was watching, it looked like Mikey was actually the one doing some of the editing as well from, from the van. Yes, so, yeah. he, he did. He did all the, so the way we had it was, um, oh, and by the way, how, how did we pull off three days? We had a very tight, what we called war room. And we ended up, you know, Mikey's ex-military. So we ended up uh, using some of his terminology here. So the war room, um, we, it was very small. There were like four or five of us inside of it. And everyone had ve a very specific role. So there was no confusion on roles and responsibilities. There was really clear handoff. Um, and then, you know, what Mikey would do is he would go out and film it. And because he was most deeply embedded in the story and closest to it, he would do the first cut down to get the footage down to like, you know, we were targeting three minutes. Sometimes they'd make it up to eight, but he'd get that done. And then all we were doing was handing it over to a graphics team that would put, you know, slates and intro outro on it. So, cause we did want, I mean, despite going on at like here that it, we wanted them to feel raw, we wanted them to feel legitimate, right? That these were legitimate assets coming out of our brand. And so we really followed, um, we took our inspiration from the news, right? So if we wanted to be the news, what would it look like to be the news? Well, the footage would be really raw and authentic, but there would be a polished craft to the finished product. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's bit.ly slash sample ABM. What were the, 
the kinds of things that you were dividing up amongst the the four people in the war room like you know is one person responsible for ensuring that certain things weren't said or you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> just really interested to to kind of know what they were responsible for yeah my agency partners hate when i tell you guys the truth <laughs> of this <laughs> because the truth is we you know we hired mikey as our quote unquote agency but he's one man and he was, you know, on camera talent. He was a filmmaker. He was doing a lot of the post-production. Um, and, and he was literally physically driving himself from point to point because he was in that RV. Then we had everything else in-house. So this war room, we had one person running logistics and she had never done logistics before. I think the um, selling point for me though was she told me that her grandparents had an RV. <laughs> and I was like, you're perfect. Go book all of my, Mikey's RV locations because, you know, side note, that was incredibly challenging because here you are, everything's closing down. Well, so were RV campsites. So sometimes we'd have to like dock him into the GE manufacturing sites, get him a water supply and an, and an electrical supply. He had to shower at some of our sites. Um, and so she was dealing with all of that. Um, there's, there's also, if, if anyone, anyone who, who's been in an RV knows this, you have to like dump out your waste. So coordinating that. Um, so she was purely logistics. We had an, another person who we called our storytelling wrangler. So this is really important, actually. How did we find all 42 of these stories? That's where we tapped into the ecosystem, the network. So as a global company, you know, we've got people all over the world. And so we have a, a global communications team in every region and every product line. And so our storytelling wrangler would go out to that group of people, there were maybe 50 of them, and they would pitch the stories to her. And then she would sort of figure out the ones that we wanted to cover. She'd bring them back to the war room and we would discuss it. Um, <clears throat> but we really had her coordinating all of that. And then once we identified the story, we did have a very um, compact brief template. And so that was given to whoever had pitched us the story and they had to fill it out. And then we would go in um, and, and this is where I would, you know, also be heavily involved is myself and the story at Wrangler. We'd go in and really curate that brief. So it was tight because by the time we had to send Mikey somewhere, he needed to know, and this is again, a military analogy, like we were treating him like a sniper. Like he knew exactly what he had to go in and get and do and the amount of time that we needed him to do it in. So that brief had to be really tight. And I cannot speak enough about the virtues of templates because if you're going to run a program at this scale, you really need to templatize as much as you can. Um, the other folks we had on the team, they were doing things like legal reviews, uh, coordinating post-production, social media distribution. I mean, that was a whole you know thing in itself. Um, and, and of course, social media monitoring, because we were, we were to the very end, we were always scared. Are we going to get any snarky comments? We ended up having like 99, 98 or 99% positive sentiment, which is just unheard of. I mean, I think average is like 50. Or yeah. I, I, I think the, uh, the idea of the, the template and the storytelling wrangler is, is, is a lesson for a lot of people, because I, I think Many people think that the stories will just tell themselves if we just get in front of them with a camera and, you know, get somebody in there, you know, we've got a rough idea, we're just going to send somebody in and then we'll, you know, we'll cut it together later and try and 
tell a, a a coherent story. But you know, if you don't if you don't plan that, and if you're trying to do this in a relatively rapid way, without a lot of uh, you know oversight required in order to uh, to get approvals to publish things, then you're you're just not going to get there without without that that planning process. I think that's essential. Yeah, I think you hit on something there, Jeff. I think probably that that that, that level of tightness of brief would have powered the three days of review. Yeah, in some weird way. Yeah, yeah. without without it, there, there's no way. Like you'd be hundred percent stuck in. Uh, <laughs> you'd be stuck in uh, renewal. Well, or you got then you just queues. you don't have forty two yeah. videos. You have four forty two like Bob Ross happy little accidents. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and that's just not possible. And then it's like, oh, here, yeah, senior leadership, day. review this happy little accident yeah. and tell me what you think. It's, yeah, yeah, that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> You've progressed from, you know, you're brought into GE Healthcare as, you know, to bring this storytelling strategy to life. You're now moving more into the, the brand side of things. And how does the storytelling component inform how you're approaching brand. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, um, we, well, it's an interesting time for us because we are spinning off from GE. Um, you know, who we ultimately become in name, um, will not change the fact that we, you know, our, our culture and our core and our, and our identity is, is so, is so deeply tied with GE. Um, but we are going through this exercise of like, you know, reevaluating our purpose. The world has changed since we had last defined a purpose. And um, I also think we've broadened the lens on being a purposeful company. You know, the rise of ESG is a great example of that. Um, so, you know, our storytelling has really, I think in a lot of ways, paved the way for us to have this conversation around around purpose because it was in telling all of these stories that it became so evident to us what matters to our employees and to our customers and that's why at the very beginning i said i was going to come back to this like we started out before covid and before this 42 videos and 42 days we had been down this like journey of like oh what, what's our storytelling strategy going to be it's going to be about what we want to tell and now what's changed is our storytelling strategy is what people want to hear. Those aren't always the same things. And I can certainly infuse my, you know, whatever people want to hear, I can infuse bits of business strategy into that for sure. But I have to start with the question of what people want to hear. Um, and so, you know, our brand, this storytelling that we've done, our brand is, is one of our brand values is courage. Another is empathy. And for sure, these stories uphold that. Um, but I think the stories have kind of unlocked for us a really great discussion around like, you know, what is our purpose? Is it transforming health? Is it transforming care? Um, how does it all kind of bleed into the ESG space? So I don't really have like a good answer except to say that we're like in the middle of asking this question, you know? It, uh, it really seems as though um, taking the initiative to tell these stories expose something new to the organization itself. I mean, these the stories existed within the organization, but they, they weren't uh, collected. They yeah, weren't. The uh, act of telling them is transformative. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and it sounds as though that's driven a, a, in some ways, a reevaluation 
a potentially a re rearticulation of purpose uh, at this critical brand moment for the organization as well. That's really interesting. It really has. It really has. And what we found is, <clears throat> so this was our best performing brand cam campaign ever. And what started as 42 videos in 42 days later developed into a multi-series storytelling program. So if you go to our website, um, you can see we've got four seasons of this where we sent Mikey out to different parts of the world. So after being in the US, a couple months later, we sent him to Europe. We were exploring what was happening there. We then sent him to India and then we actually ended up sending him to um, Silicon Valley. And we, we did, we saw that this was really resonating with people. Um, and it forced us also to kind of think a little bit more deeply about how we could continue down this journey of, you know, we have what the, the program started during COVID and the premise was kind of like, okay, we see it a different narrative than the one that the media is telling. And we believe it needs to be told. And we have the brand recognition and the podium and 2 million followers. Like we have a, a way to do that. And so we did that. And so then we kept telling that story. And so this year we, we got back together and we said like, what's the next evolution of this? Um, and you know, kind of tied to purpose, like how can we help the medical community? We, is it illuminating certain crises or challenges? Is it connecting people and, and where we're netting out? And we just released this film uh, last week. It's called The Cut. It's a long form film. It's still with Mikey, still in a similar style to what our viewers are used to, but this time going more deep on a single topic and a single character or a couple of characters. So it's a film about um, Derek Six, who uh, has peripheral artery disease. And um, this is really interesting. I didn't know this before this film, but you know, there are more diabetics globally than there are people in the US. It's just a huge problem globally. And you know, of the diabetic community, um, oh, I'm gonna butcher this data point, but it's on our page a very high volume of people are at risk of amputation. And um, there's actually a way to prevent amputation. And so the story is of Derek and actually how his wife was like, I'm not going to let them cut your leg off. And she found a, a doctor who could do a very simple surgery actually um, and save his leg. And, and what we've come to see through this film is actually there's this surgical technique it's not widely known by a lot of doctors, but that's actually very simple and completely accessible to a lot of people if they know about it. So we're using our storytelling platform to illuminate what I would call great crises in health and healthcare and create dialogue around them. So we held a Twitter um, spaces event earlier this week and we had, um, you know, someone from the American Diabetics Association. We had uh, one of our surgeons. We had one of our own technology um, GMs, and then we had um, the head of a really inspiring nonprofit all on to talk about this. And it generated such interesting dialogue. And we actually had somebody, you know, in the Q and A say she's facing into this, and you know, she related and we're finding that this dialogue is actually saving people's limbs. So 
you know, what is, if I come back to like, what is our purpose and what is our opportunity with storytelling? I think we are seeing that, you know, we have um, a way to create dialogue and, and improve people's lives, hopefully. That's a fascinating, um, uh, uh, I guess, kind of uh, evolution uh, of that storytelling approach yeah. and kind of uh, kind of getting a little bit more, it's kind of weird to think about disease categories as niches, but if you'll bear with me for a moment, I mean, the one thing that we had when this started with COVID is a, a global event coalescing attention around one thing. Common connectivity. Right. And Chris had mentioned, you know, part of this starts with knowing what people want to hear. Well, the number of people that want to talk about COVID right now would be much less, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, could even, uh, uh, that could be a couple of podcasts on its own. But, um, but in this instance, you're saying, okay, well, what's the, you know, what's the other kind of conversations that we can start with groups that have, a, you know, a, a, obviously a very shared bond and, uh, that's fascinating to me and answered a question I was going to ask, like, where do we go after COVID with this? But that's just amazing. Yeah. And the potential impact beyond, you know, just your industry is, uh, is so interesting to think that you can form a, a marketing you strategy around get all that? excited now about saving limbs rather than just the marketing data, Jeff. I mean, I mean, you're going to all of a sudden turn human. Uh, <laughs> Normally, well, it, me asking that question, but <laughs> no, you're you're hitting it on the head. Though I mean, I think um, we are going to try to create dialogue here. And, and you know, look, I mean, the example I use is obviously very unique to our industry, but I think that I do think that you know, manufacturers, other manufacturers could run a play like this, right? You know, what is important to your audience, and I do firmly believe um, that people want more than anything, a sense of community right now. And I think before COVID, we saw these higher rates of isolation and a lot of that was you know, driven by obsession with devices and blah, blah, blah. Then COVID hits and now we are literally isolated. And even though we get on camera with each other during work, we're not feeling a sense of connection and connection comes through community. So, you know, part of what I want to achieve, certainly not in my business brief, but for me personally is like, can I just create a little bit of community in the world? Could that maybe bring some lightness into people's lives? I, I would love that. I, what a perfect place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really curious about, um, uh, about that because of course, you know, part of that requires, or it doesn't require, but you're kind of hinted at it, but it being more of a, a physical in the same location versus uh, simply connecting uh, virtually. So do you see the um, the program going down the path of trying to do more of that, foster more in-person connection in some way through the storytelling? I don't think we will. I, it's interesting. <clears throat> I actually think we're going to go in the other direction, which is um, create connection or create community at a bigger scale. Because like, if I think about, um, it's so funny. I, I'm just back from this retreat with a bunch of CMOs in Panama. And I'm going to digress here. But we we went on this retreat to like, ask the question of like, how can we 
basically the, the whole idea was like, you can't fix your company or your team until you fix yourself. And so bring a bunch of people, similar career situations, bring them together, put them in a completely like remote environment and work on them with a, this wonderful consultant. And what I took away actually was like the physical isolation was definitely, um, it has definitely been just so challenging for all of us. Right. But like, while I, I absolutely think we need to get back and be in real life more for sure, nothing replaces that. I also think there is opportunity to create more meaningful connection virtually. And I think you do that, you, and that meaningful connection, I do believe comes through a sense of community. And so how do you create that? I think it is, um, sharing vulnerabilities, sharing, um, being compassionate with each other, helping each other. And so I would love, um, to see, you know, to your point, like these, these disease pathways that we're going to target diabetes being the first, but we're going to hit others, you know, can someone in the U S relate to someone, um, in Africa? you know, two, di two people experiencing diabetes who probably are actually experiencing very similar things, despite the fact that everything else about them is different, right? So like our, here we are in, in a world where there is arguably much to divide us, but our desire to be healthy unites us. There's something there. I don't know, but that's what I'm going to pursue in this storytelling. I love it. Yeah, I love it. me too. I, look and, and I to can't wait. It goes, yeah, know? I can't wait to record the next episode. Exactly. In 12 to 18 months. <laughs> of, I don't know how far you've taken it since here. Because we rename it the Kristen Ring at that point. Yeah, I think so. Then, every episode <laughs> is you take over. I mean, you've yeah. got the you've got the uh, the tactical chops yeah, clearly. Exactly. So. We'll, be, we'll be fired, and Mackie K will be in these seats. We gotta watch it. <laughs> I'll bring him next time. How about that? <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Thanks so much for joining us, Kristen. It was a wonderful conversation. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. <laughs>